Welcome to this bonus episode of The Reading Cure. In this episode, we'll be discussing the movie Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Welcome to The Reading Cure, the podcast where we talk about great books and their mental health insights. Today, though, we'll be talking about an iconic film, as we did in a previous bonus episode. And in fact, we'll be talking about another Jimmy Stewart film today. Um, This time it will be Alfred Hitchcock's classic suspense thriller, Rear Window. In that movie, Stewart plays an injured photographer called L.B. Jeffries, who is stuck in his apartment in Greenwich Village, New York, during a heat wave due to a cast on his leg. He feels terribly cooped up and finds little to occupy himself aside from looking out of his apartment's rear window at his unsuspecting neighbours as they go about their lives. In so doing, Jeffries quickly becomes suspicious about what has happened to the invalid wife of a salesman opposite called Lars Thorvald. Jeffries is awoken by a woman's scream one night and later sees Thorvald making multiple trips from their apartment in the dead of night with his briefcase. Jeffries quickly ropes his initially dubious girlfriend Lisa, played by Grace Kelly, into getting absorbed in the mystery as more suspicious signs come to light. In spite of being cautioned by his sceptical detective friend Doyle, Jeffries persists in watching Thorwald, as well as, of course, the other neighbours that capture his interest, until eventually him and Lisa manage to uncover the critical evidence needed to implicate the salesman in his wife's murder, and in so doing, the couple both come close to meeting their end at the hands of the murderer. This 1954 movie classic is considered by many to be one of Hitchcock's very finest, receiving four Academy Award nominations that year. It has been added to the AFI's list of the 100 greatest American movies, ranked 42 in that chart. And in the decade following Rear Window's release, Hitchcock would go on to direct many of his most lauded films, such as Vertigo, North by Northwest and Psycho, and in so doing would secure for himself a legacy as one of the most influential figures in the history of cinema. So the first question then, Alec, um, Hitchcock was, of course, famously nicknamed the master of suspense. What do you think makes this film Rear Window such a masterclass? Yeah, well, maybe it's a good thing to to make a distinction between suspense and surprise, just to draw out what suspense actually is. And this is something that Hitchcock talked about in interviews as you can imagine and so yeah the difference between suspense and surprise is that with surprise it's an unexpected outcome you know you didn't see it coming whereas with suspense it's you're in the situation that there is a a number of different outcomes Uh, some of them could be very damaging and you don't know what's going to happen so you're watching on uh, with a certain helplessness, actually, waiting to see what happens to the characters on screen. Is it going to be something very negative uh, yeah. that is going to occur? And, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Because if you're watching a, a Hollywood movie, you're going to know on some level that it's going to work out all okay. 
And yet in that moment, there is that real uncertainty, particularly if there's a real identification with the, the characters. You know, the stronger the emotional identification, the greater the suspense, generally speaking, that there's going to be. Uh, with yeah. Rear Window, as we know, it is, a, it is almost a, a metaphor for cinema itself because uh, Jeffrey's the, the James Stewart character, uh, is a spectator of the action, just as we are spectators. He's almost like a stand-in in some ways for the audience members. Obviously, he's more implicated in it because, you know, he, he was almost killed by Thorwald, obviously, but uh, he is a spectator and so are we. So as he watches what goes on in the apartments uh, across the block, um, you know, it's like us watching it in the audience. And yes, in terms of the suspense in, in this movie, there's a, a number of excellent scenes in it. I mean, I just want to highlight one of them, which is where Grace Kelly's character uh, goes over to Thorwald's apartment um, to, to, you know, to see if there's anything incriminatory there. And Thorwald comes back and uh, Jeffries, the Jimmy Stewart character, has to watch as he attacks her. And, you know, we don't really know what the outcome is going to be to that. He phones the police. The police do come remarkably quickly. <laughs> um, mind you, that's New York, not, not Scotland. And, uh, you know, there is that suspense there because we are helpless. So is he. He's He's got his leg in this plaster cast and he can't move. And the suspense is, is he going to kill her? Is Thorwell going to kill her as they imagine he's killed his actual wife? So, uh, you know, there is a kind of uh, wrestling there and then the police come and she is free. But I think, you know, for the, that minute or so, we don't know the outcome. And that, I think that's one of the most powerful examples of suspense in, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. I mean, there was a couple of points there to, that I would I would want to uh, pick up on. I think first of all, I think what is brilliant and unique about this movie, as you know, has been discussed, is is the, the way it's filmed. You know, you are as you alluded to there. You know, you're looking out of this window predominantly. That's mm. you know, that's the kind of camera um, angle that you're getting, looking into these flats yeah. uh, opposite these departments. And yeah, so you you have this sense of being a a kind of passive viewer in the way that the incapacitated mm. Jeffries is so so that adds the suspense in a sense all this drama is happening and you're you're there you're seeing it you know you're identified with him but you're you're kind of forced to just look on and wonder and oh um and yeah I think you're right I mean the, the idea about um about suspense as you were describing this this sort of continuous state of uncertainty you know it seems like Hitchcock uh, that was his genius really wasn't it? he could just manipulate our our emotions and keep us on the edge of our seats in that way so yeah. powerfully um, yeah. I mean in that well, movie it, it kind of goes through uh, you know there's a couple of interesting stages really because for a, for a lot of the movie you're unclear actually if a murder has happened at all so there's there's the kind of uncertainty there about has it or hasn't it and then as you become increasingly certain you know or, or you know you think it has as you described you have the you know the the suspense from thorwald you know having lisa yeah. 
uh, in the apartment and what he might do to her and then of course laterally what he might do to Jeffries when, yeah. he, when he gets to him so th- really from start to finish there's just mystery and uncertainty and, and a kind of yeah, yeah fear about what may happen so yeah it is a masterclass in suspense I think it undoubtedly is a, a beautifully made film and, and well, yeah. well it is yeah mm-hmm. I mean there's a few things that yeah I'd want to pick up on what you said there I mean as you say we're looking out this window yeah and I think it is uh very significant that the movie and the window is the rear window so again it is this idea that you're not looking out onto the street no the pub, you know the public sphere or stage as it were but instead it is the back window more connected with uh, uh you know privacy uh more connected to you know things that could be almost transgressive as well you know, particularly at the time. Exactly. Really. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of connotations to that rear window, as yeah. you would expect oh, yeah. with, I mean, you know, Hitchcock had, um, as is well known, this uh, rather, you know, dirty sense of humour as well. But I yes. think it has that connotation of the the private in contrast to the public. And yes. that this is what we're drawn to, obviously. We want to see things that aren't every day or what we might dismiss as mundane. Instead, we're seeing what these people are doing uh, in their own private rooms uh, without thinking that they're being watched, which I have to to say that um, Miss Lonely Hearts, Miss Torso and uh, characters like that are behaving as though they were not being viewed at all, which is a bit intriguing because I think in reality they probably would be a bit more uh, aware of being viewed because it was such a um you know small space that they were all packed in with many many windows that uh you know i think just for the purposes of the movie that the characters were going about um rather innocently in contrast to um you know jimmy stewart's character maybe they stretched that innocence to um make the parallel with cinema greater, if you see what I mean. Yeah, because I think obvious, so. Obviously, actors, uh, characters don't know they're being watched. They're no, going no. about as though they're being not observed by the audience. Um, and I yeah. think that to, to draw that parallel, they made the, the characters go about rather innocently. I, I think that's true. I mean, in terms of the vantage point, it's interesting that you know you, you don't see any other windows in in Jimmy in mm. Jimmy Shore, Jeffrey's apartment. No. You know, and of course he doesn't really ever leave that living room area, and he no. can't because of his wheelchair. So you you have that one outlet, and it's true. I mean, you never really get much footage of you know say the other side of the apartment looking back at Jeffrey's side in terms of because as you said there must be lots of apartments there as well yeah. that could potentially be looking in so it does kind of almost give you the sense there's really only him on one side and everybody else on the yes, other which exactly. is the kind of cinematic device there I guess to just I think you know, so. create that illusion <clears throat> yeah, as, yeah. as you say he is only one apartment among many but uh, you know as you stupidly point out it's as if he is the only person on that side um, the, yeah. I don't think that's to draw out the parallel with with cinema. Um, yeah, no, another good point you made about in terms of the mystery here. I think that is connected to the suspense because you know suspense is um, is our relationship to knowledge, and um, in this movie there is a very critical point where uh, Jeffries is sleeping when 
Thorwell leaves his apartment with what seems to be his wife. Yes, indeed. It isn't actually his wife. But this we now we think it is, and so then when um Jeffries is is definitely driving home this view that, that Thorwald has murdered his wife. Um it makes us uncertain. I mean, is that was that Thorwald's wife? Is it the case that that Jeffries is simply mistaken? Uh, or has he still got a point? So again, because we've got that seeming extra bit of knowledge, or we're not sure whether it is knowledge or not, it, it actually enhances the suspense in that movie. It's brilliantly yeah. done because, I mean, our vantage point is mostly as if we're sharing, you know, we're looking through Jeffrey's eyes mostly, but then, of course, there's mm. that detachment and at, at times from scenes such as that. I, I mean, that's very yeah. clever. The other thing that I think is clever as well is that in order, as you say, to keep us doubting, you know, initially Lisa, his girlfriend, and Stella, mm. uh, the, I guess, maid or masseuse or whatever, I can't yeah. remember quite exactly what you'd call her, but they're sceptical and then they become less sceptical, but then he introduces, you know, the, the Yes. friend who's the detective is the next skeptic that comes in so there's continually doubting voices actually throughout which again keeps us as you say we're trying to weigh up what we've seen what jeffries has seen but then the, you know we're really it's really unclear for a lot yeah. of yeah well the, the, yeah know. well it is i mean the, the the detective he introduces a voice of skepticism or common sayings um i think one of the really interesting things about this this movie is that <clears throat> is that, you know, Jeffries has that curiosity, you know, that, that's connected to that voyeurism. He, he wants to find out, you know, what's happened. He's he's pretty sure, actually, that Thorwell did kill his wife. Yeah. Whereas the, the detective, because, you know, crime is an everyday matter to him, it doesn't have the same zest or morbid curiosity almost i mean the there is almost the intimation that there, there there is something slightly perverse about hoping that thorwald actually did kill his wife well, exactly um yeah. so yep. it's a bit like something that you know i think we discussed this a bit when we covered the fall camus the fall that you know um clemens you know criticizes humanity for always being there when there's some drama yeah. You know, because we've got this morbid curiosity. And you can see that, that Jeffries and Lisa, the Grace Kelly character, are actually almost disappointed when they hear that it doesn't look like Thorwald is the killer. You know, I yep. think that maybe Lisa actually makes some remark, what ghouls we are, you yeah, know. Right. Yep, and, exactly. and so there is this thing about cinema going as well that, um, you know, while we don't want bad things happening to the hero, the main character. Um, we still kind of have a a sort of desire for some drama, you know, something to lift us out of the, the everyday. And so things like murder, um, you know, do that, do that job. I mean, that's why crime shows are so popular, really. Yeah. There. So it's about... You know, part of, you know, a really key part, I would say, about this movie is um, what is the nature of curiosity? You know, how healthy is it? I mean, this is something we'll probably discuss later on. 
Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. I think you, you've touched upon that. Yeah, we'll we'll, co- we'll come to about the, particularly about the, the morality of the whole situation. Yeah. It did strike me just as a kind of basic point. You know, there, there's mm. a kind of comic almost degree of karma where, as you say, all, all of um, Jeffrey's actions mm. are morally dubious in terms yeah. of what's actually motivating although it has a kind of social good obviously a social good and uncovered in this murderer yeah. but you know he, he comes to be actually thrown out of his rear window by by the murderer which mm. and, and gets another broken leg mm. which is a bit like a kind of ironic kind of punishment in a way for for for, for the fact he wasn't actually behaving in an entirely altruistic way to put it mildly you know no although, no and of course know, this raises the thing about us in, in the audience because we are sort of uh, as complicit as Jeffrey is, is in, in a way, uh, you know, watching this, we don't turn away when no. he looks at, I mean, obviously we could just plead that uh, these are fictional characters, but still, yes, uh, I think what Hitchcock's saying is that if you were in that situation, you would probably be rather nosy yourself. Well, you know, Thelma Ritter's character, the, the physio, she says, would become a nation of peeping toms. So obviously, as we've been suggesting, this voyeuristic behaviour is openly discussed by characters in the film. So the question is, is this behaviour that Jeffries takes part in, is it unhealthy or is it normal? Um, And it's, you know, you're you're suggesting there, maybe it is normal in a sense, if that's what people might be inclined to do there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, how... I mean, obviously, people vary in how how much they watch what other people are doing, you know, uh, yeah. you know how nosy they are, if you want to put it in a colloquial way. Yeah. But I think, you know, if we look at how popular cinema is, and if we also look at um, how much we, you know, want curtains for our house, <laughs> it's not just for aesthetics. <laughs> there is a recognition that, that people are interested in what other people do. Yeah, and, and so there is that sort of tension between, you know, the right to privacy and you know the thing of curiosity. You know, as you're weighing up the the morality of it, um, yeah, of of watching that. I mean, for me, I I find it hard to be didactic about it and say it's categorically wrong or it's cat or it's categorically healthy. Um, really, there I get I get a sense in this movie that there is a an attempt to argue that it's complicated, it's nuanced, and it might not fall into either camp completely. Oh, I, de- I definitely. Um, I mean, for really example, there. it struck me, you know, we, we, like we have the phrase people watching, you know, which is applied yeah. when you're sitting probably in a public place, mm. a cafe, a bench, and you're, you know, you're watching people go about everyday life. And people watching is not seen as a taboo or a kind of, no. you know, voyeuristic activity. Um, the only difference, though, is simply that the people you're watching are in a public place as opposed to in a private space, you know, when they, they you know, they would, mm. as you say, they would either have the blinds down or, you know, they would maybe just yeah. simply feel yeah. they're not being seen so it's tricky isn't it but it is a bit of a bloody line in a way between the kind of you know the maybe the perverse the excessively nosy versus well, it, the natural well, it interest is. you know um 
Well, it is. I mean, I, I think like if we contrast Jeffrey's situation to one that is not ambiguous, in my view, which would be if Jeffrey's had bugged the apartments, right? Yeah. And was listening in to private conversations because he'd bugged them. Yeah. Then we're, we are in a much, you know, you know, straightforward uh, state of affairs that I think that would be morally wrong to have invaded the privacy like that. Um, yeah. There is a Gene Hackman movie, The Conversation, where he, you know, he's involved with the technology of bugging and things like that. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it, you know, it, he has quite a paranoid uh, outlook on things because I suppose if you're invading other people's privacy like that, you'd be wondering if they're invading your privacy too. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, that kind of bugging kind of situation would be categorically wrong. Where the lines are blurred, as you say, is that um, the people opposite to Jeffries do have the option of closing their blinds. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they've chosen to keep them open. I know that it's intimated it's very warm. Yes. And so that would be part of it. Um, you could also make the argument, well, people shouldn't need to close their blinds all the time just to have privacy. They are in their private uh, rooms, their homes. But yeah, I think I think if you even look at the at the the set, you know, because it was a specially designed set, was it? It was an amazing set, Indeed, you know, yeah. that was uh, created yeah. on a stage. That you know, the outside and inside blur, don't they? In that kind of setting. Um, yeah, there's so just a, yeah. yeah. There's a stifling quality about it. Obviously, he is literally cooped up, and he's the kind of guy that doesn't cope well with being cooped up. He's so agitated and bored, and you know, yeah. so it's hot. And as you said, everybody's kind of you know, there's this sense of this high density apartment where yeah. people are a bit like they're they're both living on top of each other, but also quite detached from each other. There's this kind of well, they are, yeah. I mean, dynamic. I think that that's a key point actually, because you know, there is a an important moment in this movie where the, the dog owner um, yeah. screams that, you know, that uh, none of you are friendly and, uh, and so on. And so that this brings out the theme of alienation. And I think this is connected to the voyeurism because, you know, if, if you, if you knew your neighbors pretty well as people, yeah. Uh, probably what they were doing in their living room wouldn't interest you so much unless it was particularly unusual, if you see what I mean. That's Whereas true. if you don't know your neighbours too well, it's it's got more of this process of discovery yeah. in it. And so I think the alienation, the fact that they're living on top of each other but don't really know each other is, is one of the reasons why Jeffries is uh, uh, almost seduced into, uh, into looking at, at these people. Um, and of course, really. he's given them kind of these caricature nicknames, you know, which again has a kind of unsavory quality in that, you know, that like Miss Torso, you know, the ballerina yeah. who's, who's, you know, walk, walking in yeah. the apartment and, you know, semi-dressed. And, you know, obviously, again, he's kind of lustful there. Uh, you know, the t name Torso, that's that's a bit like a kind of dark kind of sexual undertone that you get in Hitchcock sometimes. You know, it's a kind of a, you know, it's not a very lighthearted name yeah. in a way to give, you know, obviously mm. he's attracted to her, but, uh, you know, there's well, so these... Well, the, 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 yeah, I mean, that, um, that, you know, it was clear about the sexual objectification yeah. there that, um, 
uh, you know, Miss Torso is is reduced to that body part, and you know, the, because it's her body yeah. that is the yeah. appeal there. And there's also some dark um, subtext about marriage. You know, the detective is looking at Miss Torso and. And Jeffrey's yeah. quips, you know, how's your marriage? And so, you know, that, but, but I think that, um, one of the things that we've got to look at here is that, um, one of the things about attention and, you know, voyeurism is obviously a very explicit form of it. But attention, you know, we find our attention captured sometimes against our wills. I mean, this is something yep. that Adam Phillips wrote about in his book on attention is that, um, you know, it's it's not quite under our volitional control. We find ourselves uh, seduced, captured by certain images, just like in cinema um, or just in everyday life. You know, if we're people watching, somebody suddenly grabs our attention. We might not always know why. And it's very difficult to look away. And if, if I suppose if attention wasn't so rapturous, uh, so captivating that cinema might have a problem, uh, really there. And and so the thing is with Jeffries, we could say, well, he has a choice how much he he snoops or he, he uh, watches. But I think that he is, uh, you know, a man that is particularly open to visual spectacle because he's a professional photographer too. Well, indeed. And I think that's a very good point. It's it's that sense. It, it doesn't seem deviant, his character, actually, because no. it's like he's drawn into this. I mean, obviously, at a certain point where he becomes captivated with the idea of the murder, he starts using binoculars and his, you know, his long focus lens camera yeah. to look specifically at... Thorwald, and then at a certain point he kind of asks the question, is this, you know, he says to um, Lisa, yeah. you know, Grace Kelly's character, is this normal to look at your neighbours through these? But, yeah. You know, it's not like he's set out in a kind of calculated way to start spying on the neighbours. It's kind of evolved because his curiosity has been captured. So it, it yeah. does seem a little bit more innocent and a little bit less perverse in that sense. Well, yes, I mean, I think the... Hitchcock and the, the screenwriter were quite crafty in their choice of um, voyeur because if you if you look at Jeffries, this is a man that travels the world taking you know photos of yeah. um, you know out there incidents, dangerous events. He is someone that's drawn to danger and adventure. Yep, and because of his um, of his leg fracture, he's He's temporarily condemned to an ordinary life, you know, a more mundane life, if we may call it, you know, just like most people that go to watch movies that they, you know, we don't have two dramatic lives. And so we, we go to the cinema and we, we get our dose of drama and, but Jeffries is a character that actually in his working life and his real life has that drama. Right, that drama, and of course, this is happening at a time before you know Sky TV. Yeah, and people yeah. have you know Netflix. All these things aren't available, so this is a guy no, who can't no. have access to that no. at home. And and it, and it's clear that he he is not someone. I mean, this is again Jimmy Stewart playing his extraordinary ordinary guy <laughs> role. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart has never been that, but he plays it well enough. He is a brilliant actor. We, we've spoke about him and It's a Wonderful Life. But yeah, yeah he, he but he's playing a guy that is, you know, in many ways, um, you know, quite practical, hard-nosed and, and not um, an intellectual, say. 
you know, he's, so you couldn't imagine him sitting in that wheelchair reading a lot. No. Um, again, he might be like um, many members of the public that, uh, you know, it's spectacle yeah. that intrigues them more than ideas. And so what's going on around him is is much more interesting for him than picking up Kant's Critique of Pure Reason or something and well, exactly. and, and reading through it. I'm not mean that as a criticism, I just mean it as in terms of the kind of person that his personality is um is quite representative of the general public at the time while his profession was quite and his lifestyle was rather different so in a way it's more excusable for him or more understandable why this man would be so tempted to look at what was going on uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think ultimately, I think you're right. Hitchcock's intention here was to, yeah, was to maybe make us ask questions about it and feel a little uncomfortable about ourselves. But he's not presenting this character as any kind of deviant. He's very much an every man who's got caught up in this. But there is just that, yeah, that slight sense of discomfort about. Well, you know, I think <clears> that's that's what he's going for, really. Hitchcock here, isn't he? Just slight, he is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, in some of his movies, he portrayed. <laughs> you know, what would be termed outright deviancy at the time, you know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, however, one of the things about his movies and probably his outlook is that the ordinary and the deviant are very intertwined and that yeah. they can't be clearly demarcated, separated out. Uh, I think he was one of those people that believed that uh, we were all murderers deep down, or we could murder. So yeah. I think that in his view, um, it would not be possible for human beings to be so ethically pure that they wouldn't have some of these, um, you know, unsavory motivations. Or, think, uh, or you yeah. know. I think that's true. I mean, I think, well, for example, there's kind of subtle parallels drawn, obviously, early on when Thorvald, you know, the, the murderer, when his apartment is one of the ones that's caught um, Jeffrey's attention, it's because mm. of his relationship with his wife. And at that point, Jeffrey's is actually quite identifying with him, you know, because yeah. this, he's he's worried about ending up like Thorvald, and, uh, you know, because he, he's contemplating the prospect yeah. of marriage to Lisa and he's really having doubts about it and about settling down yeah. and so on. So, you know, there is a kind of sense that they're not so different uh, to, in that regard initially. Well, you know? yes, yeah. I mean, this is something that we, we'll no doubt talk about in more detail soon, but um, the different characters to some extent, not Miss Torso, but um, the other characters do, uh, you know, highlight potential fates for uh, Jeffries. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it was the case that uh, one of Hitchcock's deeply held convictions was uh it was something that oscar wilde had said which is that we you know from dory gray we kill the thing that we love mm, okay. um it was he he really believed that and so you could see with thorwald that there is this sort of um, you know end point or terminus there obviously terminus in terms of his wife's life yeah. but um probably hitchcock thought that Thorwald's uh, marriage was one possible outcome of romance. You know, that romance could end up being very unromantic down the line. Yeah. And Thorwald obviously highlights that in a particularly egregious form because it leads to 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 murder. But I don't think Hitchcock was saying that that, that was that unusual. 
sure. really there um, because he did have quite a dark pessimistic view. Well, indeed, so. and I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that issue about the relationships mm. and the the kind of perspective you know that Hitchcock has here. Just you know, a further point before we move on on the issue of voyeurism and yeah. you know Jeffrey's behaviour. So we've we've you know we're, we're I think we're kind of agreeing really that you know the the character has been depicted a little bit ambiguously here, but not overall terribly darkly that's not the view do you, do you think there's any particular ethical conclusions about voyeuristic behavior that that could be extrapolated from the film in terms about hitchcock's take on that um, well i mean one of the one of the things i want to say on this actually that's just come to mind is that the, there is a a fallacy that that philosophers talk about called the the moralization fallacy which is um you know i mean some people think that it is wrong or immoral to feel envy, for example. And what the, I mean, you know, to feel it, not, sure. you know, yeah, in terms of acting on yes. it, say. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the moralization fallacy is that there is this view about emotions that if an emotion fits <clears throat> a certain situation, then, you know, it has an aptness to it and its morality is one dimension of it, but not necessarily the uh, the whole you know, story. So in other words, if someone has something that you really want or has achieved something that you would wish to achieve, envy is actually fitting yeah, to that okay. scenario. Yes. It doesn't mean to say necessarily you have to act on it or anything like that, but envy actually has, you know, is fitting or apt in that situation and moralizing it too much might take us away from that fundamental point. It might yep. mean that we end up repressing our envy even though we might feel it. Um, so that there is a certain legitimacy to to emotions that moralizing something too much might erase or or um, overlook. The reason I mention this is that, well, if we think about his curiosity, yeah. um, there is a danger here if we overly moralize it. Um, you know, if we see that curiosity as part of being human, and it has an aptness to it because obviously there were things going on in these apartments that were engaging or captivating for yep. different reasons. I mean, as we say, some of them were actually enactments of his potential fate or even what was going on for him, uh, you know, uh, in terms of his feelings. It's sort of like what... T.S. Eliot would say object correlative, you know, a sort of embodiment of what he was feeling at the, at the time. Sure. So you can see why he would be curious. There was a certain aptness to it. To say it was simply wrong or deviant would would overlook that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think Hitchcock was saying that, uh, you know, the, the morality should be the fundamental consideration. It's certainly part of it. No doubt. It's an important one, but it's not the only one. And we mustn't let it monopolize or to no. or totalitize how we look at it. But if we want to look at it ethically, it is, as you said earlier, complicated because we're in the situation that uh, his spying, if we want to call it, or watching, uh, did lead to a murderer being apprehended. And um, you, you know yourself, we watched enough Netflix crime documentaries and such that it's so f common for the neighbours to say he was such a nice guy, we'd never have imagined that he would have <laughs> done those things. And you sort of you sort of wish, actually, that Jeffries lived across from 
John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, yeah, you know? somebody with a bit more curiosity. So, and a bit, uh, so yeah. the you know, yep. it, it's um, um, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, so the, the, you know, I'm I'm not really sure. I know that there are some people that feel that they go on with their lives and they don't watch what their neighbours are doing as a virtue, you know, but I'm not sure if it's quite as clear a virtue as those people make out. Yeah, um, I mean, I think in terms of the the, the sort of the point you were making about about ethics and, and particularly about Hitchcock's take on this, I think you're right. I mean, it's pretty clear that he's drawn a parallel between the act of going to the cinema and mm. what um, Jeffries is doing. And I think, therefore, it's pretty clear he would think that taking a real kind of moral self, you know, maybe righteous attitude mm. to that that kind of voyeuristic activity, he would probably see that as being a bit naive or self-deceiving. And that yeah. Hitchcock would probably suggest, you know, no, as you, as you were saying, we all have darker sides to us. We have these mm. feelings that, or, or you know, we'll, or we'll engage in certainly morally dubious activity like that in specific circumstances that are that are unusual so i definitely think that he would be wary of any for you know the kind of for example the judgments that stella the physio is it stella is that her name the physiotherapy yeah. yeah you know she gives the kind of conventional we're all peeping toms this behavior's wrong you're going to get yourself in trouble you know she gives quite the sort of conventional take on what he's getting up to but that has definitely been undermined deliberately in the movie that that's that's too simplistic yeah. a reading of yeah. it as you say because yeah. yeah it's a good point he um no, yeah for not entirely wholesome altruistic reasons he ultimately you know pursues this point beyond that which the detective would have actually in terms of what he felt was 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 likely realistic and and it has this this positive yeah. outcome you know well i i think the thing yeah i think the thing is i mean that word wholesome is a really interesting one here because i think this movie is uh an indirect attack on the existence of being wholesome Yep. Okay. You know, I don't. I don't think. Um, I think it is. Uh, you know, proposing that nobody is wholesome. Yes, right? I think so. Yeah, uh, and that is true in my opinion. I think wholesomeness yeah. doesn't really exist. That doesn't mean to say that um, that that uh, you know human nature is just unmitigatedly dark. I don't mean it that way. But I think that. Um, it, you know, we, we often exist in that morally grey area. This is what, you know, this is where Jeffries is, that's the space he's inhabiting, morally yeah. speaking. And it's probably the space that most of us inhabit, really, a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think the thing about the wholesomeness is that, you know, this is what the detective says, that, you know, we all do things in private that we wouldn't do in public. And so, you know, it's it's like, you know, the public persona, the private one, there's a discrepancy. It doesn't mean to say that it's as, as much a chasm as, like, serial killers have, obviously. I mean, no. they're a very stark example of that uh, separation between their private life and their public persona. But they wouldn't interest us as much if we didn't have some separation between the two if you see what i mean you know i yeah. think every human being has that uh, separation sometimes obviously it's because uh their interior life is uh richer and more nuanced than their public persona almost inevitably or it should be yeah so it isn't necessarily always uh, to do with the, the dark or morally gray but uh yeah i don't think the wholesome hitchcock didn't really believe in that maybe maybe he had a at times almost a, a sadistic glee in um, pummeling that notion. 
But still, I think he he was right that uh, I'm not saying that, you know people can't be good people. I'm not meaning that, but the whole wholesome just suggests that our psyche would be like muesli in the sense of just one consistency, something you know nutritious all the way through. And yes. I think that's not actually the case. Well, yeah, I mean, I think for example, because he's drawn such explicit parallels here between the, you know cinema and, and voyeuristic you know, activity, you know, either that there's two ways you could read that either he's making a critique of, of cinema itself, which would seem strange given that's what he does, or he's actually wanting us to, you know, you know, avoid having two terribly morally inflated ideas about ourselves by suggesting, look, you like going to films, you have a voyeuristic streak as well, you know, and that, and that's just part of human nature. That's probably, I think that's essentially what he is saying here, you know, that we, we shouldn't get too, too much above ourselves ethically, you know, and, and, you know, well, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but it is also how we could get involved with other people in their other lives, and and there could be an element of identification, um, you know, as well. Yeah. So that so you know we do go to the cinema to also identify with characters uh, quite often, anyway. I think um, so. Well, I mean, for example, it's interesting. You know, the the you know when Miss Lonely Hearts, you know mm. this this woman who's 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 as the name suggests, isolated, lonely, wanting to meet somebody. It's interesting because sometimes you get you know a sense you you get a clear sense from Jeffrey's a sympathy for her. Actually, he's looking on and yes, seeing what's yeah. happening. And there's times you know it's you know she's maybe pretending you know she's talking to herself or imagining she's having a date and having and drinking. And you know there's a kind of it's painful for him to look there because he feels bad for her. You know. Um, so th- 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 there is that kind of you know other sides to to the characters that's coming through despite the you know the the voyeuristic element. Um, it's interesting that, that that where I thought it was a particularly interesting one where Hitchcock kind of intersperses. I think is it there's a point where Miss Lonely Hearts is thinking about taking an overdose of pills. Yeah, and he's looking at that window, but simultaneously. Um, I think is that when Lisa has yeah. tried to lure yeah. Thorwald, and so yeah. his attention has really been caught between is this mm. person about to commit suicide and what's happening with Thorwald? Mm. And you know there is sometimes yeah, it's really difficult. It's that kind of moral dilemma again being posed there. Well, actually, yes, you know, what's yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we can most. understand that why his attention was more captured by Lisa's fate. You know, even yeah. though he has sympathy towards Miss Lonely Hearts as well. Of course, that is a good point that he has that sympathy there again it's it's to highlight that you know voyeurism isn't something um you know uh so detached necessarily necessarily it be, yeah it be exactly. brought in terms of sympathy just as we might sympathize with a character on screen empathize to yeah. and identify with them so there, there can be that aspect as, as well in other words he was saying there's many strands to this complex experience and uh while there are morally questionable elements to it. To to see it entirely as a moral issue would be to smother the complexity. And yes. you know, as we've both said, he, he provides a public service ultimately. Yes, uh, exactly. Through that, exactly. Um, yeah, and yeah. and stuff. I mean, that yeah. would not have been the case in a sense. Um, in a kind of strange sense, Thorwald killing his wife is what redeems almost the morality of Jeffrey's actions. If if there was no such thing, then it would have been, you know, a guy uh, gawping on 
Miss Torso and, uh, you know, and other yeah. things, you know, it wouldn't have been... Well, um, it does raise the question, know, had he been wrong, you know, mm, what would we then say yeah. about his kind of moral status? And it is, that is the, yeah. the dilemma there, obviously, yeah, happened that, to be that's right. That's what I mean, you know, yeah, it redeems so them, really, it redeemed, in terms yeah, of exactly. the, uh, Because he was right. Yeah. Um, although... You know, even if he was wrong, because the case, you know, the case of Thorwell was a bit complex. You know, a guy, this travelling salesman, going out at 3 a.m. with his briefcase, his suitcase. Yeah. Um, you know, there was aspects of it that, you know, even if he was wrong, it was probably good to, for him to have noted it and for it to be followed up. It wouldn't have been much of a dramatic movie if that no, would have been no, the case. No, no, no. But, but, yeah, maybe even if he'd been wrong, there could still be a case made be... that... Yeah. Um you know uh that it, that it was worth chasing that up. In this movie Jeffrey's and Lisa's relationship is rocky, but then it becomes greatly strengthened by the shared adventure of, mm. of catching Thorwald. Um, do, do you think the underlying view of romantic relationships in this film overall could be classed as cynical? Is that is that taking it too far? What what do you think? Yeah, to say it was cynical, um, like a Todd Solon's kind of. Movie, yeah, I thought would, of Todd Solitaire as well. Uh, yeah, I think be carrying it too far. Yeah. I mean, clearly it was not advocating a very rosy picture. Um, Thorwald, as I say, I think for Hitchcock is one logical outcome of uh, romance, which is that you start off with that love, that honeymoon phase, just like the newlyweds that come yeah, in. Yeah, with them as well. But, yeah. but, you know, it could get um, quite antagonistic with time and aggressive. And, of course, we know from the rates of domestic abuse and divorce that that is, and sometimes murder, that that is the case, that it is one of the outcomes. Not the only one, obviously, yeah. but it is one of them. And, and I think Hitchcock saw it. Uh, that way so clearly he did not believe that uh, it was happy ever after for everyone that sure. you know just on the most basic level yeah he said um, it's not like watching a Richard Curtis film you know it's no, not like it a romantic really. rom-com it isn't, it isn't vibe, like that no. it's not a rom-com or no, anything no, like no, that no. and and we know that you know Schopenhauer had said uh famously that uh, comedies, you know, because in his day, comedies, the the dramas would always end with a wedding. And he said, you know, they end at that point because you, you don't want to see the unromantic aftermath. Yes. Um, so, you know, this is what we get in Hitchcock with Thorwald. We get yeah. the... And then the know, newlyweds, you know, yeah. again, slightly tongue-in-cheek, you know, the end, you know, the blinds are down for most of the film and, they're, you know, they're, yeah. and suddenly they're yeah. squabbling at the end. And, the, I th- and I, Yeah, and I think that... Um, when we look at the movie that uh, he got, um, you know, Raymond Burr to play Thorwald, who is mainly known for playing Perry Mason, actually. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at him, I mean, <laughs> apparently the reason that Hitchcock chose that actor was because he looked like the producer that he hated. Was it David Selznick, I think? Oh, right. And okay. he hated him, and he looked identical to him. <laughs> so that was one of the reasons, you know, it was a kind of in-joke for Hitchcock. Okay. But I think also that, you know, 
Thorwald is representing, uh, you know, that middle-aged man. You know, it's past the the young honeymoon stage. You know, yeah. it's it's romance and desire. You know, you know, past past its um, its good old days, shall we say? Yeah. Um, you know, he has not got the same visual appeal, shall we say? Yeah. As as uh, the Jimmy Stewart character or Miss Torso, or you know what I mean that that are yeah. handsome, attractive people, and so he's kind of playing out that one possible logical outcome of um, you know Thorwald at one point would have been like that newlyweds perhaps, but now yes, much exactly. older, and is at that they're at that antagonistic stage, and he. You get the sense that he is somewhat an emasculated man as well. I mean, he he does resort to violence with Jeffries, but initially he's quite pathetic, isn't he? The way that he comes in and you know speaks, yeah. he says he has no money, and he's, yeah. he's he, you know you get the feel that how successful a salesman could this guy be because he doesn't have quite the gift of the gab, or he doesn't seem quite ebullient. Really, um, you're quite but right. More yeah, morose. he's quite um, flat. He's yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, you know, he's somebody that is probably. It's almost like a, a murderous Billy, Willie Loman, yeah. really. You know that like he's at the end. He's tether. He's dejected about things. He he probably cared about his wife, but you know, there's all these arguments and such. And yeah, um, and of and course, there's a sense. Violence. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and of course, there is a sense again, just to complicate it morally, that he, you know, she she's ill or you know there's she's in yeah. bed she's she's some, maybe she's an invalid but she's being you know really unappreciative it's kind of intimated yeah. that you know she's not being very nice to him and obviously he snapped at a certain point and that's what's implied here so yeah he is quite a kind of a, a sort of pitiful kind of character in a way and how and uh, you know, yeah ended up yeah in this dismal situation and i mean you know obviously what he did wasn't right no, 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 of course, but, yeah. but we don't need to worry about that because that's quite straightforward i think yes. but 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 you get my impression was that this was a guy that had been helping his invalid wife for a long time and she yeah. had been nagging at him and that uh, he he probably this rage came out of course he's and, been having an affair as well isn't he there's another woman that's that's that he's going to, is that not what's that you know the women that i that think there might be yeah that there is that kind of intimated as well so pretending to be the wife so that can... aspect as well yeah i mean we have to infer it just from what we see actually you know it's almost like watching a silent movie in that regard that we yeah we don't really hear too much from them uh but we can infer that that obviously his wife and Somebody's pretending to be the wife as well. Yes, yeah, so yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. aspect too yeah. of it. So yeah, it's complicated, uh, really. Yeah. But yes, I think that relationship they have is one of the grimmer possible outcomes. Uh, we've also got clearly Miss Lonely Hearts. Now, if yeah. the, if it was the case that it was just a cynical portrayal, then um, there wouldn't be so much sympathy shown to Miss Lonely Hearts. Clearly she is missing out on something that is valued in yeah. the movie. You know, basically love. I mean, Thelma Ritter, you know, at the start is sort of saying, you know, there's someone for everyone kind of mentality, or there should be really. It's such a key part of happiness. And, you know, the movie, you know, largely affirms that of course, when it works out well. I mean, that's why Thorwald's an important qualification 
to that. Romance is great. Relationships are great when they work out. <laughs> and yes, they, yes. And I think a sort of more subtle critique of, you know, the possibilities of romance and relationships isn't just to do with Thorwall, but actually Jeffreys and uh, Lisa themselves, because... <laughs> They are quite different people. We know the, the saying that opposites attract, but they also inhabit quite different worlds. So, yes. you yeah. know, she is uh, someone that is going to all these uh, dinner parties, going to exclusive nightclubs and restaurants like 21. Um, you know, she's going to these photo shoots. So she she is part of that New York intelligentsia and fashion group really very different to his world and so it's like a meeting a conjoining of two worlds that that aren't easy to put together now in the movie you see that because she gets more involved in this investigation about thorwald that um jeffries recognizes that she has a sense of adventure or she can participate yeah in things that are potentially dangerous i mean that's why not only is he you know, so distraught uh, watching her because she might get killed. It's also the guilt he has for placing her in that position, yeah. you know, because he, he's so drawn to danger. But she wants to prove to him that she can engage in that. And yet at the end of the movie, uh, while he's sleeping, you know, she uh, puts down this book about adventures in the Himalayas and picks up Harper's Bazaar. You yeah. know, almost like she can look at it while he's asleep because that's where her heart still lies. So there is an intimation here that while, you know, he's he's fallen really in love with her, you know, he's proud of her, that those two worlds may not meet too easily still. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's again, it's left, you know, s somewhat ambiguous there because, I mean, obviously early on we have this kind of classic dispute, you know, she she wants him to settle into a more yeah. conventional job, get married, stop, you know, so she really wants him to make a kind of radical change to come into her world and he obviously digs his heels in and it's, you know, it's ultimately it's like it might end between them and then obviously, as you say, she gets herself so involved and, and shows that he, she has a side of her character that he's never quite registered actually she she is quite a bold adventurous person so there is a sense that they're they're not incompatible people quite they're not as opposite maybe as might have yeah. seemed but yeah well but, the, but yeah there is there is that intimation that you know there has been a degree of her shift in there but it's maybe not as much as he quite thinks actually so uh, no no i mean the, the you see as as you watch her perform these various tasks you know that he wants her to do basically he would do them if he if he had mobility um you can see her though giving him a wave or you know like she's very much conscious of being watched and look at what i could do yeah really look i'm proving this but but that's the thing i mean it might be more to do with proving it than actually wanting that kind of life um yeah. i think the i think the really important point about this as well that came to me is that the I mean there's this excellent book about 1940s movies um, Running Away From Myself by Barbara Deming and one of the chapters is about um, many movies were made after the war about you know these male characters that were frightened of commitment you know they'd come back from the war okay, right and yeah. they didn't really feel 
that they could join that world again. They, mm. You know, they weren't sure whether they were able, they weren't sure always whether they wanted to. And you had a female character that their task was to uh, get them into a relationship and being in a relationship, they would then come home, as it were. You know, they could then be integrated back into society. Yep. And I'm thinking when I was watching Rear Window that, uh, okay, Jeffries has not come back from the war. Um, so on a literal level, that doesn't work. But I think there is a kind of symbolic element. This was something that Deming spoke about in her book is that the, uh, that even on a even if on a literal level there wasn't the subtext, sometimes it is there in a wider sense. And I think if you look at Jeffries, that he is in that world of danger and adventure, mm -hmm. and he's not really sure that he can live that life of commitment, a more domestic life. It is. It's not like he was in a war, but it's almost like he's come back from yeah. some, you know, that life of danger, like many men would have at that point. You know, they'd been in wars and then they had to come back to a a world where you know could they commit to uh you know an office job or you know and and to a, a family life and and you know in these movies that the women are determined to prove that they can and and lisa has that sort of role really yeah there. yep i mean i thought it was another interesting little kind of ingredient to kind of muddy the water as well i thought was obviously he uses stella to kind of sometimes inject a kind of you know, somewhat unconsidered conventional yeah. viewpoint, you know, and she obviously, you know, she says, you know, at one point, oh, you're, you're looking at Miss Torso, but it's not raising your temperature, you know, yeah. this is a sign of your, you're being deviant here. And she kind of makes the point that, you know, her and her husband, she didn't sit around at, they didn't sit around analyzing each other. I think she says like two specimens in a bottle <laughs> or something. You yeah. Know, we, you yeah. just got on with it. You liked each other. You turned out to be completely opposite and you fought like cat and dog, but, but she said, you know, something about her marriage still lasted and that's yeah. just it goes yeah. you know and there's a real sense of just you know so it's like there's a on the one hand there's a critique of his wanting to pause and consider well are we compatible what do i want what does she want but i'm not sure that the critique that stella gives is one that hitchcock himself completely shares actually it's like it's thrown in there you know but i think that you know it's not necessarily the case actually that you know jeffrey's reticence is wrong there actually because it could be that it avoids a situation that's bad mm. for him and lisa you know if they aren't compatible it would have been obviously unwise to to rush too quickly there just because there's a kind of attraction you know so well yes yeah um, uh, yeah the 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 stellar perspective is um a bit simplistic you know indeed in in that um you know if we were to take it uh, totally at face value maybe yeah. there is a point though, yeah yeah in, exactly. In the, exactly i think yeah. where there is a point is that um to analyse or to know someone, including your partner too well, might not always be a good idea, really, because it could be that you just end up seeing too many criticisms or what you think are criticisms, or knowing someone too well might lead to a sense of staleness. I'm thinking about Reggie Perrin, you know, when his wife said, you know, you know, darling, can we have a conversation? He says, well, what, what is it, darling? You know, we know... We know each other's opinion from fasc you know, fascism to wallpaper. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I'm not saying that anyone knows another human being, you know, 100%. That would be impossible. But there could always be a danger in thinking that you know 
your partner so well. I mean, and, there could be, you know, there could almost be an autopsy like vibe there. Again, you know, if he if he just essentially analysed her on the basis of what he knew at that time, you know, it wasn't seen potential that obviously the movie kind of suggests is there that he's missed as well. So it's difficult that you know. Yeah, the, I mean the. I mean, as I was watching the movie this time, you know, I've seen it before, uh, but, you know, this time, um, you know, I was obviously struck again, as you would, by Grace Kelly's beauty, but mm. but I was also struck by the character that she plays and maybe also her limitations as an actress. I mean, she wasn't a terrible actress, but but, oh. you know, while Lisa does show bravery, courage, and a bit of adventure in what she does. Um, there, wa- there was, for me, almost a monochromatic element um, to the character. I'm not saying that I found her boring, but um, sure. I didn't find her particularly interesting, uh, really. There. I'm not sure if that was really redeemed for me in the okay. movie. And yeah. I could sort of see what Jeffries might mean uh really there is a sort of she does seek a certain kind of perfection you know and and achieves it in a way as he says you know with the meal it's perfect and that's yeah, part yeah. of the the problem um maybe the perfect is the opposite of the complicated or the nuanced or the morally gray you know like what his voyeurism is and yeah <laughs> um maybe maybe the thing about it actually is that she almost did seem wholesome to me. Okay. And that yeah. was maybe part of the problem is that, you know, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, wholesome, well, I mean, wholesomeness isn't interesting really, you know. I mean, is there not a point early on where something about he's, he's had a lighter that was a souvenir he's brought back from somewhere mm. kind of far flung and he likes it and he discovers as it's just she replaced it with a kind of designer sleep mm. effect, you know, which was a kind of obviously a very poor understanding of him mm, in terms of what mm. would you know in a kind of slightly you know too fashion conscious element yeah that, yeah but, you know it's, it's I mean, obviously yeah, yeah i mean there, there is a i think that there is i mean this this movie is quite subtle in a number of ways i think you're right that shows a poor understanding of him however i have to say that he also has these difficulties that he you know that he has these real limitations i mean i'll give you an example when um, you know, she is listening to the music and she's somewhat enraptured by the composer, you know, uh, uh, playing on the piano. And uh, yeah. and he says, uh, she says, sorry, you know, how, I wonder how someone can come up uh, with that or find the inspiration for that. And he says something like, you know, well, you know, paying the rent every month or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, yep. you know, and, and again, you know, there is a sort of, blindness to to what she was uh, articulating there you know it was almost like he didn't have a refined enough sentiment or sensibility no. to understand her the, well, well, the and, music and, and, i mean i get yeah that's an interesting example um th- there was also that there you know they're just dis- 
disagreement in terms of their respective takes on when mm. Miss Torso, you know, the ballerina is having mm. this soiree where there's these various men and one yeah. of them's trying to, you know, and, and you know, Jimmy Stewart, or sorry, Jeffries, you know, has this mm. sense that she's a bit of a gold digger, he implies she's got all these different men and like she's trying yeah. to select the richest one and, you know, Grace Kelly, um, you know, Lisa Grace Kelly's character's take is more that these, are, these guys are a bit like wolves and she's trying to fend them off and of course the culmination we see is that she actually has a a partner who's come back from the army at the end mm. you know she has this this guy who's kind of not doesn't remotely look like the the kind of classic yeah. handsome you know so it's obviously undermining the sense that that jeffrey's had of her actually that he really didn't quite, yes, quite yeah, get her right yeah. there you know so yeah, yeah there is I mean, a, a, a certain point. yeah there is a kind of overly cynical streak to him that is a bit a bit crass really and a bit yeah a bit unsoulful really isn't it yeah yeah i mean clearly he's an intelligent enough man he's clearly got a a great eye for incident you know for spectacle and that's his job but he is not um he's not uh you know going to be engaging with the high culture in any sort of uh way and you know where she would be more partial to that yeah. so they misunderstand each other as you would expect with two human beings right enough but those misunderstandings are you know quite delineated in this movie at a subtle level anyway I, I, you know a sort of supplementary question really linking into that um you know, if if we, I mean, I'm not sure from what we've just discussed, we can assume this, but if we were to assume that there's a, you know, there's a degree of a romantic happy ending, maybe mm. Lisa and Jeffries, we can think, might have a happy future together. If that's the case, is what, what would make them different from the other less fortunate couples in the film, if indeed there is any distinctive difference being drawn there by Hitchcock? I don't know. What do you think? Is there a difference? Well, I mean, so, I, I the, do... I mean, you know, if if as I say, you know, it's it's intimated that there's the possibility of a happy, yeah, future, I think so. uh, you know, or at least them being a loving couple, you know, really. Sure. I don't, I don't think it's intimated that they're heading down Thorwald Highway. I don't think so. No, uh, I agree. Really, there, but clearly Hitchcock didn't want it to be a pat ending where you know, happily ever after. But sure. he, you know that that her picking up the Harper's Bazaar, you know, on the fly, is a sign that you know that she probably is still wanting to keep that life, and that uh, I, I get a sense that that it's intimating that domestic life is going to be his fe- his fate in the near future. Yeah, uh, yeah, there. So it might be more about him ending up in that situation rather than you know, saying they're going to be happily ever after. But there is that possibility there. Sure. Well, one of the things that is different um, between, you know, with those two compared to, say, Thorwald and his wife is that, um, you know, the dialogue between uh, Lisa and Jeffries, I mean, they're both very articulate. Uh, yep. Jeffries is witty. You know, they, they answer each other. You know, there could be a, a playfulness there. You could get a sense that they could talk things through. They could be interesting with each other, if you see what I mean. Whereas yep. the, the Thorwald 
um, scenario is where you know that it's just you know dead really. That's yeah. the, you know like he is dead. He's a sort of like, almost like a walking zombie to some extent. He's got so flat yeah, in many yeah. ways, and you can see that it is unfortunately the fate of some couples that they they don't really or they don't think they've got anything to say to each other. I mean, yeah. whereas those two are both very intelligent, articulate, playful in, in what they say, there is a sort of uh, give and take there. They they can engage with each other. And there, and there is a kind of honesty as well. You know, they brought up the issues regarding the relationship yeah. as well. Um, so I think that's a good point. Yeah. So the, there is that difference. That's one of the differences I would see between the Thorwald couple and and uh, them. I, th- I mean, um, I think. I mean, I know it's they're just a kind of very minor add-on, but you know, the honeymooning couple. I think you know who you know. It's it's intimated that they're so you know um, they're yeah. so delighted to be on their honeymoon. They, they they have the blinds down and so on, and then at the end they're arguing. There's maybe a sense there that they've been a little bit more naive they've not really maybe contemplated in the way that jeffries has you know how this might go wrong and therefore what would need to be in place to make it more uh, meaningful for for him and yeah know, yeah from, well i mean from, they're they're both um they're both young whereas you look at jimmy stewart and it's clear that um he's not young he's yeah. probably playing a younger man than what he actually is I, yes I but so. but i i can't help but feel that i had a little bit of a a smile when Thelma Ritter's character said, you know, you're still a young man too, um, <laughs> that that didn't quite apply because, I mean, clearly he's, a, he's middle-aged at the very Yeah, that, 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 um, that's, that's definitely so, the case. And, he does and, look, uh, I mean, yeah. he doesn't look quite as though he could be Grace Kelly's father, but, he, you know, there is that age difference really there. And, yes, I mean, exactly. that's fine. There's not, it's not an issue about that. It's just that they're not both a young couple no and i mean with that could become a certain experience and judiciousness that that they both have as well i mean you see with the newlyweds they come in obviously him in his suit and her in her dress then later on near the end of the movie you see him leaning out the window in his vest yeah you know yeah and so you know how how regular it's become it's like there's been a yeah kind of sort of degeneration in a short period of time maybe because they just focused on the physical side yeah. and, and you know there's a sense well, possibly, maybe they're not possibly. Con- um, yeah I mean it, it clearly already this couple are such that the guy is looking outside to see what interesting things are going on yeah yeah um I mean you know I and I think that you know even though Jeffries gets captured by what's going on um, you could actually imagine them, ironically enough, closing the blinds and actually having a good time speaking to each other and being in each other's company. Whereas, <laughs> you yeah. know, like that newlyweds, you get the sense that, yeah, maybe maybe already he's looking outside for interesting things going on because nothing interesting is going on in, in the flat. 
Yeah, I no, I think so. I think I think you've kind of summarised it well there. Really, I think I think you're right. I mean, they're definitely there's the sense that they just they've been attracted to each other. It could have seemed like a little bit of an opposite attract, but there is just that there's enough about the two of them. They're both energised people. You know, there, there's a kind of sense of compatibility. There's there's also, of course, the other thing. I mean, it's intimated. I, I can't remember if it's Jeffries or you know mentions about the neighbourhood as being a kind of maybe a slightly hard up neighbourhood where it's a little bit of a grim place to stay. You know, obviously it's not where Grace Kelly's character Lisa stays. No. They obviously have more money. You know, she's involved in the kind of the jet set. And, yeah. you know, there is obviously, they're not trapped there, maybe in the way that some of the other characters are, actually. It's where he's choosing to be at this point in time. But you Well, know, the, the, the thing about it is it's set in Greenwich Village, which was where a lot of artists lived. It was very yeah. bohemian. Yep. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, you know, we see a we see not everybody that he's that he's watching is an artist. Obviously, we've got the composer, uh, or who is artistic, yeah. but we've got Thorwell, who actually is a salesman. You know, something sure. more every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think maybe there is a contrast between Thorwald and them in that you know Jeffries and Lisa are both in creative professions. Ah, yeah, really. that's a good point. Whereas, yep. um, you know, he is, I mean, obviously you could argue you've got to be creative to sell things, and no doubt there is an element of that, but he is doing a more regular job, probably living more a regular kind of life than yeah. what they would ever do. There is this sense of openness to their life, and, uh, you know, Jeffries, if he wanted, could could be taking pictures for Harper's Bazaar or whatever. You know, Lisa only has to give the nod to those yeah. things. So, the, the, you know, as I wonder, said, actually, I don't know if you know the answer to this, did, did, the, the, did um, Arthur Miller's play Death of a Salesman come out prior to this film? What Was this you yeah, know, the idea did, of a yeah. salesman loaded? Because it does seem like an interesting profession they've chosen for him to be a man, actually, in despair and, you know, about yeah. to, you know. Yeah, it did come out. out. I'm sure it... In the late forties was the first production okay. of it. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. With so that, um, um, what, what's his name again? That was in Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, Lee um, J. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but yeah, the salesman was seen as the you know after that as the quintessential American profession. You know, like the everyman. Yeah. So in a way, Thor was like the murderous everyman there yep. whereas you know there's not going to, i mean you know he's not going to be at the harper harper's bazaar dinner party no, but, but jeffrey's yeah. could at least through lisa yeah and uh, so there is that sense of that in terms of their relationship that he could take her to the himalayas for example but she yeah. could also take him to the harper's bazaar dinner party and so on so there's that openness uh it's not quite domestically shut in no i mean there's like, just there's like good Thorwell fortune there? would be yeah. you know uh, which is the more regular situation yeah um yep. to, to be honest so the, yeah. the, i mean the romance first for romance to last there would have to be that sort of sense of openness really a sense of adventure in some ways and novelty and these two have that in different ways. Actually. Yeah, I mean, I, su I suppose ultimately it would be that they both have the prospect of a, a, a life that would be fulfilling and enjoyable to them, mm, which mm, maybe mm. these other characters don't, regardless maybe whether they're single or together. You know, either way, it's a sort of stifling existence for some of them, it, it, you know, it's suggested here. So obviously neither Jeffrey's 
nor Lisa are in that position, whether or not their relationship quite works out. You know, they're both actually enjoying what they do, you know, so they're people who are kind of in a good place from that point of view. Um, so it's yes, a bit like, yeah. he, he, you know, it's, it's like in a way he lives there, but he's he's clearly never spent any time there. You know, he does, he's, he's gotten fascinated with these neighbours because he's injured and he's stuck in and he's desperate to leave, you know, and that's just, it's like it's engaged him. But, you know, it's not really his world, actually, that little apartment block, whereas it is for these other characters. No, you know? no, it is temporarily. You know, it's like he had to join that world, uh, yeah. not by choice, but just by the, the fact that he... he his mobility is reduced. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, and uh, but yes, his his world is uh, is much wider than that. Yeah, really, in terms of what he does. Uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, so no, it's interesting. It's it's not. Um, it's neither Richard Curtis nor Todd Solondz. Really, we get when when Hitchcock does. No, you know, does romance. No, it's, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, yeah, it's something in between, I guess. So, yeah. I think I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Um, I mean, it is a, a romance Hitchcock style, really. You almost feel that, that Lisa's attempt to prove that she could engage with danger and adventure is something that the, the director would appreciate as well. Yeah. Um, really there. I mean, it, it was a it was a sign that she wasn't living too in too cloistered a way or it had made her her psyche or soul too cloistered. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, um, really. I guess a, fi a final question occurs to me, Alex. Obviously, we've 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 covered. I think that uh, you know the bulk of um, what we're going to talk about with the film. There, um, if you had to, I guess, recommend another Hitchcock movie, what or what would be your personal, say, favourite favourite Hitchcock? Because I know, obviously, we both watched a lot of a lot of his movies over the years. Um, I don't know. Do you have a, a yeah? Another that well, you... the the one that comes to mind is Shadow of a Doubt. Oh yeah, with Joseph Cotton. Yeah, um, that was I think Hitchcock's personal favourite. It is a great movie. Um, Joseph Cotton plays Uncle Charlie, yeah. this disillusioned serial killer, the Merry <laughs> Widow killer. <laughs> right, but it's yeah. a but it is a you know it is a nuanced movie, and it is also about. Uh, family, you know, Hitchcock quipped it, put murder back in the family where it belongs. <laughs> um, but the character of Uncle Charlie is played brilliantly by Joseph Cotton. Uh, the, the critic Neil Norman had said in a documentary about Joseph Cotton that it was one of the best performances ever captured on film. It's certainly a great performance. And it's 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 really interesting that it's on that theme of the doppelganger because you've got young Charlie, his niece, then you've got Uncle Charlie, and one is the shadow of the other to some yeah. extent. And it's also a, a tale about innocence, disillusionment, and experience as well. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a really I would say it was film, one of my favourites and it's not as well known. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I mentioned it today. Yeah, I think it's a good, it's a very good one uh, to, to look out for. I think, as you said, I mean, it's such a, you know, to have a film about somebody who's a serial killer at that, at that time, you know, and also for it to be this kind of, you know, this sort of suburban rural family. Mm. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's really good. And, and jo as you say, Joseph Cotton was such a brilliant actor who's really never had the credit actually probably deserves over the years. He's not, I mean, Obviously, I mean, I was going to say, you know, I really like North by Northwest and obviously yeah. both Cary Grant and, 
in Jimmy Stewart or in a lot of yeah. and, and in a number of Hitchcock films. They probably yeah. had the the most and, and a lot of the films that were the the more well known ones. But yeah, Joseph Cotton never really quite got the same acclaim actually. But he was such a good actor. Um, obviously, he was in the Third Man as well, wasn't he? And that was another he was one. in Citizen um, Kane. Citizen Kane, um, yeah. But this was right. something that he mentioned, which was that a lot of the movies he he did were great movies and and the favourites of the directors. Um, that 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 he had he was in, or sometimes even starred in, but yeah. yes, he was a great character actor, and uh, so yeah, it's one for people to check out. North by Northwest, that's what that's quintessential Hitchcock thriller, is it? With Cary well, Grant indeed. as yeah, the I mean, lead, it's, and it's uh, uh, you know beautifully filmed, you know, like Rear Window actually. You know, I mean, it's it's wonderful, and I, yeah. I, I find it. It's interesting with Hitchcock, though, because some of his really, really... I mean, his films are always of such a high standard, and sometimes the cast were, like, for example, Frenzy, one of his later films, you know, they weren't quite the A-list cast, actually, that you get with, you like, see Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart, but, you know, the he always well, he, he cast very well, you know, I mean, he really got people that were apt for the... Well, he parts, did. I know. mean, Frenzy's another one that we could recommend, because that, that's his penultimate movie, and... Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, one of them that was made after the Hayes Code was yeah, very, so very, it's more very dark, shockingly yeah. violent. But yeah. it is a very, it, it's a real critique of masculinity. Yeah, uh, you know, through the the character of Uncle Bob, wasn't it? again another, another serial killer? Yeah, another serial another, killer. Yeah, but, very but Barry Foster. Um, yeah. You know, he played Vandervolk. He was known in Britain for playing Vandervolk, the Dutch detective, yeah. and he was also a a good stage actor but yeah barry foster played that character very very well yeah but apparently it was originally going to to go to michael kane but he oh, didn't okay. want to do the role because hmm. he thought it could harm his career that's so i heard anyway okay you okay, could yeah. see that, that hitchcock wanted somebody with uh you know, ginger blonde hair anyway. That seemed to be a prerequisite, whether it was yeah. uh, Michael Caine or Barry Foster. Yeah. But I think both of them, you know, if, if Michael Caine did do it, I'm sure he would have done a really good job too. But Barry Foster certainly did it brilliantly. So, yeah, it, I think it, it was his second choice, really, there. But it didn't really matter. I no, I, um, I, yeah, again, another, I, I, you know, a disturbing, unnerving bit. But brilliant, intriguing film again. You I know, think. So I think of... so. I mean, the you know, as as you know, the the actors in a certain scene had a real problem with doing that one. But yeah. um, but the yep. it was necessary for the movie, I think, in some ways. But it was not easy for them. Um, and again, I think you know, Michael Caine would have been thinking about the future of his career if he played such an unsympathetic character. Yeah, I mean, he could, to play, I mean, it's unfortunate, you know, well, not unfortunate, but it's such a memorable character for horrible reasons. Mm. Uh, and yeah, Michael Caine, it may, may, may well have been one that stuck with people, you know, and, you know, when he's simply, that might not have been good for his career, actually, you know, so it's... A, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going from that to playing some hero yeah. or, uh, in a, another movie, it could be, it could be difficult uh, there, yeah. but it, it testifies to the power of the script, and also how dark the movie is, but yeah, it is a it is a critique about 
of Bane, yeah. really that. And that certainly, movie. I mean, Hitchcock movies, maybe um, when we do bonus episodes in future, you know, they, they are often so psychologically complex and, and fascinating. You know, they're often very nuanced and, you know, they're, they're certainly, we may, we may well revisit a Hitchcock absolutely, movie again. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely, and certainly yeah. strongly recommend them, yeah. Um, well, I think we're, out, we're really out of time. Uh, for tonight there Alex so uh, as always okay, you know, thank, you, thank you for that good, good conversation that. again yeah thanks okay, cheers thank you 